I am an exegete, meaning I preach the Bible about Jesus. So I'm not a topical preacher. So although this is a topical sermon, I do not have a joke followed by three pithy points with an illustration to help you take it home. Um, that's not the kind of preacher I am. I'm a Bible preacher. So what I've done is taken this topic and found a passage in the Bible that brings it to life. And it just so happens this week that the passage that most brings this topic to life for me is my life verse. Philippians 2, 15 and 16 are the two verses that have driven me in my ministry since I was 14. It was when I was 14 that God really kind of called me to the ministry. And uh, I started studying his word at 14 to prepare me for this day. So thank God um, for that happy coincidence. Again, I did not pick this topic. You picked it. Um, and so the Lord, of course, knew that that would be the case and has prepared my whole life to be able to preach this sermon to you today. Um, the passage I've chosen is out of the book of Philippians. Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. It was written about A.D. 62. Um, Paul wrote it most likely from prison in Rome, uh, and he is writing to Philippi to raise funds. It's a fundraising letter. It's a thank you letter, and he is writing to encourage them to live out their heavenly citizenship through growing service of God and one another. Philippi was a fairly cosmopolitan city, not a huge city, um, not as big as Corinth, say, but a big city. It was a cosmopolitan city. It was established on a trade route uh, in Europe, and it was the first European church that the Apostle Paul ever planted. So he planted this church. He's writing to them because he loves them. Um, it was located in a tax-free haven in the Roman Empire. It was part of a major uh, Roman victory during the reign of Caesar Augustus. And so as a result, uh, he declared that region a tax-free haven to commemorate his greatness forever. And so, as you would expect, tax-free haven, big military victory, lots of veterans moved there. So it was a military town and a very prosperous one at that. It has uh, in its ruins to this day all the hallmarks of a prosperous Roman city. And uh, it's a mid-sized city, so a lot like the city of Guelph. Um, and speaking of citizenship, which is uh, kind of the key theme in the book of Philippians, emphasizing your citizenship in heaven, um, I wanted to ask you a couple questions about citizenship. I want to invite you to think about citizenship. Um, are you a citizen of the here and now or a citizen of heaven? Okay, this question is seminal in today's sermon. Are you a citizen of heaven or a citizen of the here and now? If you're a citizen of heaven, how should you live your life in the here and now? Okay, now we've taken it a degree of difficulty down the road, right? Am I a citizen of heaven or a citizen of the here and now? If I'm a citizen of heaven, how then should I live in the here and now? This leads to today's question. Well, I'm trying to figure out how to live as a Christian in a non-Christian society. There are some very fundamental questions that uh, lie beneath the question here. One, does God even exist? Okay, so this is a question you have to wrestle with as I preach you through Philippians 2 today. Does God even exist? And I grant that the question is legitimate. And uh, I've had times throughout my life where I wonder if he exists. I still sometimes have a dark moment in the midst of the week where I'm like, is this, thing whole, is this whole thing a sham and I'm nothing but a used car salesman, right? Does God even exist? Um, has he invited me to be his friend? Right? If he exists, has he invited you to be his friend? Next, it gets difficult. Is there a difference between those who are God's friend and those who are not? Okay, does God exist? Does he call us to be his friend? If he does, and friendship with him is possible, is there a difference between those who are his friends and those who are not? And if that's true, what do those differences look like? Ah, page four of seven. I have some caveats, okay, some warnings. Um, there's lots of spectrum and nuance in today's sermon. Um, no one described in this sermon is 100% one way or the other. All right, so don't get it twisted. So 
If I say something that sounds like a very broad stroke, I'm doing it on purpose to provoke you to think, but I know that there's a spectrum involved here. No one described in this sermon is 100% one way or the other. Let me say unequivocally, I believe that no one is right in their own strength. Okay, so regardless of where you sit on the spectrum between right and wrong, whatever degree of rightness you can claim as yours isn't really yours to begin with because no one is right in their own right. There is none righteous, no, not one. Therefore, we all need grace. So as I preach to you about the differences between Christians and non-Christians, I hope that all of it, as you receive it, is tinged with grace. Um, If, as I work through these points today, you find yourself unsure about one or two of the points, I just want to say, as your pastor, that is totally okay. Right? So we do not need to agree on all of these points. Um, I have preached each of these points um, as I have lifted them from Philippians 2, 12 to 18. Um, I have sought to interpret and apply these points in a way that is consistent with my training, my education, the things I have learned about Jesus and his way through, how old am I now, 45? I've been loving him since I was 11, so 34 years of walking with Jesus. Um, But I do acknowledge that I don't know it all, and so you may find yourself disagreeing with me on one or two or three or four or five or six or seven or eight of these points. I just want to say that's totally fine. Um, There aren't many points in this sermon that I would consider um, worth breaking fellowship over. Um, What I'm trying to do here is to show you that Jesus and his way are beautiful. Okay, so when I'm exulting in some of the things that Christians are, I'm trying to show you that Jesus and his way are beautiful. And secondly, I'm hoping to encourage you to reconsider how you're living, regardless of your place on the religious spectrum. Okay, so you may consider yourself very religious, not religious at all. Regardless of where you are this morning, I'm hoping to encourage you to reconsider how you're living. Um, Hearing this um, sermon this morning, if you've been uh, thinking of yourself as a Christian and you realize, as I preach, that you're falling well short on many of today's points, let me encourage you to repent and do the first works. Okay? There's guaranteed to be six or seven moments where the hammer of God hits you right between the eyes, and you go, oh my God, I am not doing that. So if you have that reaction, good. I hope so. Right? I'd be a crappy preacher if you didn't feel convicted. Okay? So I hope you feel convicted, and when you feel convicted, don't feel judged, because Jesus was judged in your place for your sin. Therefore, you can now repent and do the first works. However, if hearing this... Um, You've been thinking of yourself as a non-Christian. Okay, so that first caveat was for Christians, right? If you're a Christian, you think you're a Christian, you hear all these things, you're like, whoa, I'm falling short. Repent and do the first works. If you've been thinking of yourself as a non-Christian, and as I preach my way through these points, you find yourself thinking, um, as you hear the ways in which Christians are supposed to live, gee, that sounds kind of like me. If that's how you feel as you hear these points, or if as you hear the way non-Christians tend to live, you're thinking, gee, I don't uh, really do that. I want to encourage you to realize that God has already set his love on you and is calling you to be his friend. Okay, especially if you consider yourself a non-Christian and you hear these points and you're like, hmm, that sounds kind of familiar. Know that that is a sign that God has placed his love on you. Most of all, last card, let me clearly say, um, Christians are not good people. Okay, I do not believe that Christian equals good person. Um, And non-Christians are not bad people. I do not believe that non-Christian equals bad person. Okay? I believe there is no such thing as a good person. Regardless of where you are on the religious spectrum, there is no such thing as a good person. In fact, there was only ever one good person who lived, and I will talk about him a lot. Woo! You're like, what in the heck is he going to do this morning? 
going to preach pretty fast. I don't have a lot of time, and I have a lot of points. How to live as a Christian in a non-Christian society. I grew up in a culture that said the way to live as a non-Christian in a, uh, the way to live as a Christian in a non-Christian society is to not drink, smoke, dance, or go with girls who do. I grew up Pentecostal, and that was the sum total of Christianity. Don't smoke, don't drink, don't dance, don't go with girls who do. As a result, I never developed a smoking habit. My wife introduced me to drinking because she didn't grow up Christian, and I am to this day not a very good dancer. Let's uh, define the word Christian. I define Christian as someone, this is important, listen. I define Christian as someone who belongs to Jesus, okay, that's speaking of salvation, and someone who is learning to act like Jesus, speaking of sanctification. So to me, a Christian is someone who belongs to Jesus, meaning they've been saved by grace through faith, and they are someone who is learning to act like Jesus, meaning sanctification is active in their life. This is a theological point on which we may already disagree. Okay? I do not believe that there are any Christians who do not act like Jesus. And so if you see someone who thinks they're a Christian, who claims to be a Christian, who does not act like Christian, that makes their Christianity suspect in my eyes. Now again, there's a spectrum here. But sanctification is key. You belong to Jesus, and you are learning to act like him. That's how I define a Christian. How do I define a non-Christian? I define a non-Christian as someone who does not yet belong to Jesus and who therefore is not yet learning to act like Jesus. That's how I define a Christian, full stop. Society is defined this way. Uh, an enduring and cooperating social group whose members have developed organized patterns of relationships through interaction with one another. Society, a community, nation, or broad grouping of people having common traditions, institutions, and collective activities or interests from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. Christian versus non-Christian. There is a categorical difference between Christians and non-Christians. And you have these categorically different people who live in, share, and are together building a common society. This makes life very weird. I'll prove it to you. These are some random notes from Twitter to prove a point, generally speaking. Now, I will here say some things that represent so-called Christian views. I will say here some things that represent my Christian views. I will say here some things that represent so-called mainstream non-Christian views. And I will not tell you which is what. I feel like I'm so glad I came to church today. I pulled this from my Twitter feed on Friday as I wrote this sermon. Okay, that's how non-manufactured this is. I just went to the news tab, and these are the top ones that came up. Christian versus non-Christian. Um, impeachment, awesome. <sighs> if you scroll through Twitter, it won't take very long before you come across an evangelical feed railing at the Democrats for trying to impeach God's man in the White House. Then you have other Christians who think that God's man in the White House is not God's man at all. There are many Christians who left the Trump train before it left the station. I would be one of those. You lost me the minute you talked about grabbing body parts I can't say in church. I'm out. I'm out. In a first, um, scientists detect brightest light in the universe. Some Christians go, science can't teach us anything about the universe. God made everything that is full stop. The world says, you stupid Christians. It's very clear that the world has evolved. Billionaires Row, London, street of money and mystery. Some Christians would tell you there should be no billionaires. Some Christians would tell you that uh, if you're a billionaire, woe to you, rich, for you have received your comfort in this life. Other Christians would tell you that God wants to make you prosperous. And that if you're a good Christian, you'll have lots of good money. 
billionaires row. Uh, Bernie Sanders says Palestinians should be treated with respect and dignity. He who keepeth Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. There's a whole class of Christians who think to speak against Israel is to speak against God himself. There's another class of Christians who think, what are you talking about? We should be concerned about the downtrodden and the oppressed. Meanwhile, the world goes, are you crazy? Sydney wakes up in a smoky haze as wildfires continue to burn in New South Wales. Global warming. <laughs> I don't even want to say anything. No matter what I say, I'll get myself in trouble. Hopefully you can see that we have a problematic spectrum at play here. A problematic spectrum that exists amongst Christians and that especially exists between Christians and non-Christians. So how then should we live as Christians in the midst of a non-Christian society? We should play the opposite game. So as I now outline the opposite game for you, I hope you feel this way. Crap, I haven't been doing that at all. Or I hope you feel this way. Wait, there's another way to live? Or maybe if you choose the third option, the road less traveled by, you'll go, I've been starting to see some of those things showing up in my life. Thank you, Jesus. Philippians 2, 12 to 18. Where does it start here? 12 to 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I realized, Nick, can you grab my NKJV from my uh, briefcase? I actually put the New King James Version on screen because that is the version that I grew up using and that is the version that I memorized this passage from. And then I brought my ESV up to preach to you from this morning. And that's not going to be much help at all. Philippians, because I don't want you to be confused. 2, 12 to 18. Okay, in uh, the remaining 10 minutes, 27 ways to live as a Christian in a non-Christian society. <laughs> By playing the opposite game. So I'm not going to try and preach like an auctioneer here, so I'll literally just try and not embellish anything. I'll just kind of preach point by point. We'll try and go like 30 seconds a point and see how we do. Uh, verse 12, word number 1.1, 1. 1, therefore. This is a reference to Philippians 2, 1 to 11, which Jenny read for us this morning, which sets up who Jesus was and what Jesus did. Point number one, Christians believe in Jesus and what he did. Non-Christians either don't think about Jesus at all or they think he's an outdated, manufactured, religious construct invented by conservatives. Let me tell you who Jesus is. He's God the Son made flesh. Okay? He became the man Jesus, the Word of God, the second member of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Second member of the triune God, God the Son became the man Jesus. To do two things in his life. One, to perfectly fulfill the will of God his Father, to never sin once, even though he was tempted in every way in which we'll ever be tempted. And to go to the cross where he would suffer and die in your place for your sin. Because the Bible is clear that the penalty for sin is death. And God himself knew what I'm about to say. 
It'd be pretty stupid for God to make the human race to be his friends forever and then to wipe them out because in giving them their freedom, they chose sin. And so instead of banishing them from his presence forever, he adopts them back into his family by punishing his son in their place. And Jesus Christ, God the Son made flesh, bore the iniquities of us all on the cross. And God the Father crushed him instead of crushing humanity. And God the Son really died. And Easter Sunday morning, he really rose, defeating for real in his body the power of Satan, sin, death, and hell forever. And then, after appearing to his friends and hanging out with them, he ascended back to his Father's right hand where he sat down, where he sits even now in glory, interceding for you, a place from whence he'll come again one day to judge the living and the dead and to inaugurate his kingdom, which will have no end, a kingdom in which he is preparing you a place. That's who Jesus really is is. If you want to live as a Christian in a non-Christian society, get to know and copy Jesus. Verse 12, third and fourth word, point number two, my beloved. Secondly, first, last, and always, Christians remember that we are loved. There is a great common ground here because everyone is looking for the same thing, which is why I think Jesus himself reduces all of the New Testament teaching to the doctrine of Love, because he knew that Christians and non-Christians speak the same language when it comes to one thing, love. What is love? To love is to give yourself away for the benefit of another, John 15, 13. So if you want to reduce all of Christianity to one manageable sentence, in every moment, decide how you can best self-sacrificially prefer the person you're interacting with, and do that one thing. If you do that one thing, moment by moment, do the thing that is self-sacrificially loving to the person you are interacting with, you will be walking in the way of Jesus. If you want to live as a Christian in a non-Christian society, learn to love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself, Matthew 22, 37 through 40, and bow the knee because, verse 2, eighth word, point 3, as you have always obeyed, 3, Christians believe the highest human potential is found in obedience. Okay, please don't miss these. We'll put this list online. Each one of these points could be an entire sermon in and of itself. Christians believe the highest human potential is found in obedience. Non-Christians believe self-actualization is the key to reaching your potential. If you want to live as a Christian in a non-Christian society, obey Jesus and live selflessly. And get used to this whole selfless thing because its roots run very deep. Verse 12, ninth to 21st words, point number four. Not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Point four, Christians believe in accountable community and mutual submission. Non-Christians tend to default to a me-first approach. Now, by the way, we're only four points in. If you're already hearing some of these points and you're thinking, um, whoa, whoa. Uh, I see some of these behaviors in my life. You may be saying you're a Christian and not acting like one. If you want to live as a Christian in a non-Christian society, get yourself into a community where you have the opportunity to be accountable and to submit a big tip-off that someone is a non-Christian or is persisting in thinking like one is if they find submission to be a dirty word. It's one of the biggest tip-offs there is. If submission is a dirty word to you, you're thinking and acting like a non-Christian. Also, if you're thinking and acting that way, you probably love the path of least resistance. Verse 12, 22nd, 23rd word, point five. Work out your own salvation. Five, 
Christians love to work. Why? Because their God is a worker. And Brian Bitten said, amen. Hardest working man in show business right there. Okay? Christians love to work because God is a worker. Non-Christians always are looking to find the path of least resistance. You're like, Todd, that is very offensive. I know. I worked at Pepsi with a non-Christian dude who got hired as a temp at the same time as me because his life had probably fallen apart like mine had. And our first job in the Pepsi plant in Mississauga was to sweep because the CEO of Pepsi Canada was coming through the next week to inspect it. And so as I took my broom and worked my butt to the bone because my God is a worker, he took his broom, stuck it in the belly roll of his, and literally walked around the, the factory yapping with his friend who just had his broom over his shoulder. Guess who got fired the next week and who got promoted? Okay, I rest my case. Maybe I don't have you yet. Okay, go to the self-help aisle at Indigo or online. Why is every self-help book titled Five Easy Steps to a Better You? Why do I never see the book titled Build a Better Life by Spending Your Whole Life Dying to Self and Doing Back-Breaking Work for the Benefit of Others? You want, to live a Christ, you want to live as a Christian in a non-Christian society? Accept that there are no shortcuts. Get to work and keep at it. Keeping in mind that nobody's going to do this for you but you. Verse 12, 24th and 25th words. Point number six, work out your own salvation. Point six, like point four said, we believe in community and personal accountability. Christianity is the hardest faith system there is. Okay? We believe in accountable community and personal accountability. Work out your own salvation. Non-Christians will always tend to pass the buck. How do I know? I read Genesis. The snake made me do it. My wife made me do it. My pain made me do it. I didn't do it. Wouldn't it be just so nice if the Republican Party tapped out, said, our guy did it, even if it meant they had to lose their grip on power? Aren't you just so sickened by the fact that these people who claim to be Christians are holding on to power at any cost, even though it's patently not the right thing to do? It makes me sick. If you want to live as a Christian in a non-Christian society, take responsibility. Own what's yours. Learn to say these words. My bad. My bad. Why do we do this? Because we believe that it... I told you, this is offensive to everyone and hopefully encouraging to some. We do this because we believe eternity hangs in the balance here. Verse 12, 26th word, point seven, work out your own salvation. Christians believe eternity hangs in the balance here. Non-Christians tend to think that this life is all there is, so you might as well get all you can. How many, are these resonating with you? How many people do you know who that's their MO? This life is all you got. Might as well get all you can. If you want to live as a Christian in a non-Christian society, reject a do-whatever-you-want-to-get-whatever-you-can mentality because you know that human society is eternal. How heavy-duty is that? We tend to think of our souls as eternal, forgetting the fact that the entirety of human society is eternal. You'll either live eternally with God in His presence and with those whom He loves, or you will live eternally banished from His presence. Human society is an eternal construct. That's why we play for keeps. And uh, we put fear in its right place. Verse 12, 28 to 30th words. Point 8. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Christians, oh I love this. Christians fear God and nothing else. Non-Christians don't give God much thought, but spend the rest of their time obsessively risk managing their lives. 
Um, in case you don't believe me, I brought exhibit A, 48 different types of insurance. And this is a non-exhaustive list. Auto insurance, gap insurance, health insurance, disability insurance, disability overhead insurance, total permanent disability insurance, workers' comp insurance, casualty insurance, terrorism insurance, kidnapper, ransom insurance, political risk insurance, life insurance, burial insurance, aviation insurance, boiler insurance, builder's risk insurance, crop insurance, index-based insurance, earthquake insurance, food insurance, home insurance, landlord insurance, marine insurance, renters insurance, volcano insurance, plus 20 more on this, 23 more on this non-exhaustive list, including two honorable mentions, nuclear insurance and horse insurance. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. Okay, look, you have two ways to live. Let go and let God, or let's go and buy some more insurance. And I mean it. You're like, Todd, do you have any insurance? Yes, I have the insurance that the law requires me to have, and I have life insurance in case Jesus in his wisdom decides to take me home too soon so my family won't starve in the meantime. That's it. Okay, I'm not saying don't buy insurance. You want to live as a Christian in a non-Christian society, though. Trust God more than you trust yourself to be God. Somebody say amen. Amen. Put another way, live a God-centric life. Verse 13, 31st to 48th words, point number nine. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Christians are learning to embrace that life is about God, not us. Non-Christians inhabit an absolutely me-centric life. It's true. If you want to live as a Christian in a non-Christian society, live like God is always at work for his good pleasure. And yes, this means that it pleases God to allow humans to be free, even though we often use that freedom to do evil, not good. This further means that it pleased God to bring my brother-in-law Robbie home to glory well before any of us were cool with it. It also means that it pleases him to be merciful to all who repent and that it will please him to justly tread the winepress of the wrath of God one day because of those who will not. And if you belong to Jesus, his triumph over evil, including all the evils you ever did ooh, and all the evils ever done to you, his triumph over those evils will one day bring you joy. Which is why, verse 14, 49th to 55th words, point number 10, do all things without complaining or disputing. Christians are learning to do everything with absolutely comprehensive positivity. Many non-Christians are pretty bummed out much of the time. Hashtag rush hour traffic. Hashtag taxes. Hashtag teenagers. Hashtag asparagus. Hashtag Schlitz Malt Lecker. You want to live as a Christian in a non-Christian society? Get happy like Jesus. And now, without further ado, my life verse. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. My life verse contains points 11 through 23 for living as a Christian in a non-Christian society and worship team you can join me in just a minute. I'll give you a second but like get ready because this is going to be good. So I have just passed my four-page manuscript length limit, so I will try to hit these rapid-fire. This is points 11 through 23. I hope you enjoy this. It gave me great pleasure to write it. To God be the glory. We believe in process, 
The world likes instant gratification. We believe in holiness. The world believes in appetite. We believe family is the heart of the universe. The world goes it alone. We believe in rightness, goodness, and excellence. The world wants to, but can't because self-interest keeps getting in the way. We mix without blending in a crooked world. The world prizes conformity and tells you to toe the line. We believe among whom speaks of integration, so we are always trying to make room for everybody. The world would appreciate this if we just stopped talking about sin, Jesus, and the cross because it makes them feel guilty. We stand out and overcome like light in the darkness. The world blends in and gets crushed by the cares of this world and the deceit of riches and like the light we are always active and are living in such a way that we will die doing what God made us to do the world seems uh, pretty excited about retiring to do nothing whereupon they will die and have God ask them what happened to your gifts we hold on to Jesus the world's unrelenting skepticism has them endlessly grasping at straws. We live life like it's life or death. The world basically walks around wearing a do not disturb sign. We know that like Paul at the day of Christ, cosmic happiness is our destiny. Most people you know are mostly miserable most of the time. We believe in the eschaton, that this age of the world has a beginning, middle, and end. The world believes we basically just go on and on like um, Hinduism's karmic loop or Taoism's great wheel, unless, you know, global warming gets us first, so they're busy living for the free Freaking weekend, hoping that the Jameson sinks in. We believe you can waste your life, so we run and labor. The world rejects that kind of either-or binary absolutism, so they often spend much of their time frozen in navel-gazing indecision, but not us. We are learning to get our eyes off our belly and on to yours, yes. And if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all for the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me declare it friends we believe in self-sacrifice for the sake of others the world is about my self-actualization at any cost we're getting more and more comfortable leveraging this entire thing called life on something we can't see called faith the world says show me i've said it two or three times already but paul says it once time more so i will too we believe true happiness is found in community and self-sacrifice the world doesn't know much about happiness because it's all me all the time with a very unhealthy dose of aloneness thrown in and surprise surprise we don't don't try to find our own way when our mentors like Paul does here to the Philippians tell us to copy their example we do it why because we know we weren't made for alone meanwhile the world keeps on trying to find their own way and the worship team didn't come because I didn't give them a heads up so you should run to the stage how do you live as a Christian in a non-Christian society friends you simply play the opposite game 